This morning we continue our summer sermon series on relationships and we build on last week's focus on our relationship with God by focusing this week on our relationship with one another as the church. So listen now for the word of God from 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 through 27. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in the one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of the one spirit. Indeed, the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot were to say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear were to say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body would, were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many members, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the members of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And those members of the body that we treat with less honor, we clothe with greater honor and our less respectable members are treated with greater respect, whereas our more respectable members do not need this. But God has so arranged the body, giving the greater honor to the inferior member, that there may be no dissension within the body, but the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together with it. If one member is honored, all rejoice together with it. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Come Holy Spirit, heavenly dove, with all thy quickening power. Come shed abroad a Savior's love that it may kindle ours. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Rachel Held Evans, Christian author and blogger, had gotten fed up with church with doctrinal correctness, with exclusivity, with an unwillingness to engage her questions and doubts. So she left. She writes, for the first few months after leaving church, my husband Dan and I spent Sunday mornings doing exactly what we'd been told all the other heathens did on the first day of the week, sleeping in, making pancakes, and sipping our specialty dark roast coffee while watching Meet the Press in our pajamas. We were one New York Times crossword puzzle away from liberal nirvana, she said. She had grown up in an evangelical church in Dayton, Tennessee, 
home of the Scopes Monkey Trial, where there was little room for questions, doubts, uncertainty, and mystery. When she finally wrote about her own wrestling with the church on her blog, she started hearing others' stories as well. One wrote, I left because I was sick of hearing what part of your walk isn't right with God just because I suffer from a chronic illness. Another said, I show up, but I checked out mentally years ago because doubts were not discussed. No one shared their own personal struggles. And if you did, you became the topic of hot church gossip. One individual sadly wrote, I left church because I was taught at a very young age that who I was was an abomination. And I felt God would not love or accept me the way I was born. Again and again, she counted the ways that people felt cut off from the body of Christ because it was a place that piled on guilt and shame and made them feel as if they didn't belong. And while she clearly understood this feeling herself, there was also something she couldn't shake, something deep in her heart that left her yearning, feeling incomplete by simply checking out. Like her heartbeat was out of sync without connection to this thing called church. I have never seen a church that doesn't advertise themselves as welcoming. From the most doctrinally bound to the most grace-led congregation out there, everyone uses that term. And while I've come to believe that it's easy to say, I've learned that it's actually difficult to be welcoming. For as many stories as there are out there of people who feel right at home, there are an equal number of stories like Rachel's and others of individuals who are actively or passively excluded from the body of Christ. Because instead of seeking unity in Christ, what was expected was uniformity. A pastor once told me, I'd love the church if it wasn't for all the people. You can imagine how long he lasted. But therein lies the struggle. Church inherently requires us to be in relationship with one another, with all our gifts and our flaws, with our quirks and our struggles, with our opinions and our differences of opinions. If God is a God in relationship, like we talked last week, then we cannot live our faith in Christ on our own. But to do so requires that we be in relationship with other beloved children of God who are perfectly imperfect individuals in need of God's grace too. Paul knew this well. When he wrote to the church in Corinth, he was aware of a host of reasons that the church was floundering. They were divided over big things, what to believe and whose voice mattered. And they faced conflicts over everyday matters, food and clothing, sex and marriage, and who got to go first in line for dinner. The first century church in Corinth was doing exactly what Paul had called them to do, sharing their everyday life and faith. And they were trying to figure out how to be church together. And it turns out that being a family of faith 
is as hard as living with your own family 24-7 for 80-plus days of quarantine. So after putting out fires over a number of disagreements, Paul tries to reframe what it looks like to be a family of faith, to be church together for the Corinthians. To be church, he says, is to become the body of Christ, the enlivened and fleshed body of our risen Lord, to be his hands and his feet, his eyes and his ears, and even his big toe, so that his grace might live dynamically between those who are united in the spirit. For just as the one body, the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. And he goes on, if a foot were to say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong, that would not make it any less a part. If the ear were to say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. In short, we cannot be the church, a family of faith, alone. We are integrally connected to one another by the Spirit, so that a full measure of Christ's grace isn't made visible without all of us. It's a complicated time to think about what this means to be the body of Christ, to be in relationship as a family of faith, because after all, all of us are sitting in our own homes this morning watching worship. These days, scrolling through my Facebook feed on Sunday morning feels a little bit like scrolling through Netflix to pick a show. It may be the occupational hazard that comes with having a lot of friends who are pastors but since the pandemic started, nearly every church has moved online and there's a lot of worship options to choose from. Geography is no barrier. There's no one to shame you if you didn't show up this morning. And yet something this morning caused you to click on a link to worship together as Morningside Presbyterian. Maybe you're worshiping with us this morning because you're curious about this new pastor they called. Maybe you're worshiping with us because a friend or a neighbor shared the link in the kind of low-key evangelism Presbyterians are comfortable with. Maybe you're worshiping with us because after all the scrolling and overwhelming options, you end up back at the same old standby, much like Wait and I do when we talk about watching a new show and end up watching the same reruns of Friends and the West Wing that we did the night before. But my instinct is that the choice to tune in this morning had a lot less to do with video quality and production value as if church is something to be consumed and a lot more to do with desiring to be connected with one another in whatever ways we can during this strange pandemic time. In some way, worshiping online together draws us into relationship with each other, even as we are apart. In some way, worshiping online offers us a shared opportunity to gather around God's word so that every part of the body, however scattered we may be across the city, is strengthened by the shared promises of God's grace. And yet, being the church, 
being the body of Christ is about more than just worshiping on Sunday morning. Paul is calling us to recognize that being church, being the body of Christ, is about a connection that is deeper than what we can simply consume. Because whether you choose to respond or not, your inclusion in the body of Christ wasn't a choice you had to make. In the same way that you don't get to choose your family, being part of the body of Christ is an act of Christ's grace and God's abundant love. We don't choose to be the be part of the church like you choose to go to a friend's birthday party. We belong to one another and are bound together in the waters of baptism so that when one is missing, left out, the whole body suffers and is incomplete. For just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one, so it is with Christ. Often when we hear this passage, we assume Paul is talking about church membership whether your name is on the rolls of a particular congregation, or whether you've tuned into a particular congregation's service this morning online. But Paul's word for member isn't about membership in a kind of exclusive club. The Greek points us not to membership on a roster, but being a limb, a living part, an integral component of the whole body of Christ. God's powerful claim that you belong to the body means that your relationship with this body is vital, not just to your life, but to everyone else's as well. He writes to the Corinthians, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor the head to the feet, I have no need of you. If one member suffers, all suffer together with it. If one member is honored, all rejoice together with it. This, of course, means that Christ's body experiences pain when we deny or cut off parts of the body that belong. And I can't help but wonder if some of the pain we are experiencing in our world right now isn't a reflection of the body of Christ in need of healing. The church has a long and painful history of trying to exclude groups of people who by Christ's grace already belong. As we acknowledge Pride Month in June, we also have to come to term with the pain that the LGBTQ community has experienced because of the church's historical and present judgment. As we continue to grapple with racism and listen with fresh ears to voices proclaiming Black Lives Matter, we also have to come to terms with the reality that 11 o'clock on Sunday morning remains one of the most segregated hours of the week. The pain we experience comes from mixing up our ideas of membership as choice versus membership as belonging. In Paul's understanding of the church as the body of Christ, there is no room for exclusivity. And when we try to cut off a vital limb, not only does that individual suffer, but the body experiences pain. 
Paul knew this intimately, he was writing to a church that was trying to decide who counts, who was most important, whose voices deserved to be heard. For the Corinthians starting out and for us 2,000 years later, it is easy to fall into the trap that some matter more than others, rather than recognizing that each of our unique gifts is necessary to ensure the flourishing of the whole body. And when we live that out fully, those whom the church has tried to cut out, those who have left because they felt excluded or ignored become voices that are essential for us to listen to. For the world to know that Christ is alive among us, we need every part and limb to work together. What Paul invites us to is unity, not uniformity. And so the members of the body that seem to be weaker, the ones that have been cut off or silenced are indispensable. In Paul's vision of the church as the body of Christ, the multiplicity of voices is essential for us to live in harmony and to be united as one. I have sung in numerous choirs throughout my life. It's one of the activities that makes my soul come alive. And one of the first things that you learn in singing in a choir is not the perfect vowel shape or even how to read music, but how to listen. The success of a choir hinges on recognizing that every other person singing with you is as essential as you are. Something that doesn't always come natural to sopranos like myself. When one voice is missing from the chorus, the sound is incomplete. When new voices are added, the harmonies are richer and fuller than before. There are spiritual moments when the music really soars that there is this visceral connection to everyone you're singing with. And it takes practice. But there is something mysterious that happens when every individual unique voice with its own timbre and resonance sings together to the same rhythm and beat. Our hearts beat as one. Curious about the power that music has to unite us, a Swedish musicologist, Bjorn Vikoff, tested this very phenomenon. Putting pulse monitors on the singer's ears in a large chorus, he watched the individual singer's heart rates as they navigated the intricate harmonies of a hymn. And within moments of singing together, the singer's hearts had synchronized. What started out as a jumble of jagged lines quickly fell into a shared rhythm guided by the song. Joining voices in a way that every voice mattered, where those who were used to being the loudest had to listen to others, your heart literally beats as one. To be the body of Christ means to belong to one another that we cannot live fully without one another and the unique gifts that each of us by God's grace brings. Being Christ's body in the world today requires that we tune our ears to hear one another's struggles and joys 
so that we can tune our hearts to sing God's praise. We may be apart from one another, but distance doesn't stop us from belonging to one another. And so today, as we sing our closing hymn together from our various living rooms scattered across the city, I invite you to place your hand on your heart and feel it beat and know that the risen Christ's heart beats strong when our hearts beat as one. May it be so today. Amen. <laughs>